Hello everyone, welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Lee Procopio, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. More than 250,000 people in the United States have died from COVID-19, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Researchers have been working diligently toward a vaccine and have recently announced promising results. However, the possibility of a COVID-19 vaccine has prompted as many questions as it does answers. Here with us today to talk about the COVID-19 vaccine and its implications is Dr. Bruce Y. Lee, who is a professor of health policy and management at the City University of New York Graduate School and executive director of public health informatics, computational and operations research, and a senior contributor for Forbes. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Lee. What needs to be done about COVID-19 during the presidential transition? So during the presidential transition, it's important to uh, put in place policies and measures that will help address the uh, surge in cases that's occurring throughout the United States. So over the past uh, month or so, every seemingly every day, there's been a record number of new daily cases, which basically means that uh, the COVID-19 coronavirus has been surging as the weather has gotten colder, as the uh, humidity has dropped, as activities have moved indoors. Uh, this was expected because the concern all along is that the uh, virus has seasonality, which basically means uh, transmission picks up during certain months and maybe decreases during certain months. So uh, there's high likelihood that transmission decreased uh, over the summer, and we can't let that give us a false sense of security and believe that the same trends in the summer will continue into the uh, late fall and winter. So it's very important to come up with a uh, comprehensive and coordinated and organized national plan to give guidance to all the states and municipalities and localities on how to address and uh, control the COVID-19 coronavirus. Everything is connected. So therefore, community control is very important, and that ultimately will affect what will happen in the clinics and hospitals. So that means making sure that social distancing is maintained, installing test, trace, and isolate uh, programs throughout the country so that you can better identify where the virus is spreading and potentially box in the virus, and then making sure that all the um, different municipalities are coordinated in terms of how how are they going to recommend or enforce things such as social distancing, what are you going to do in terms of businesses and the policies of businesses, whether you're going to allow things like, you know, indoor gatherings and what limits there'll be, Uh, face mask use is important, and how that's going to actually be encouraged, and also communication of the virus. There's still a lot of people around the country that don't understand that this is a potentially deadly virus, and this is serious. There are people out there who still believe that the virus is a hoax or being overblown, And that's simply not the case. Uh, So all those things need to be organized uh, as quickly as possible. What challenges have arisen and need to be addressed? Well, one of the important things when it comes to uh, the response and the transition is making sure that there's enough personal protective equipment, PPE, available for all healthcare professionals. This was a major problem at the beginning of the pandemic. So in March, a lot of hospitals were having shortages and you had situations where healthcare professionals were wearing N95 masks way beyond the recommended manufacturer limits. 
So these masks were potentially not doing their job and not not and could have potentially been not safe to wear uh, because they weren't protecting the uh, healthcare professionals enough. While the stocks and the uh, available inventory of uh, PPE has increased since then, it still hasn't gone away. It's still a continuing problem. So PPE shortages is something that needs to be dealt with as quickly as possible by the uh, current administration working with the Biden transition team. We have to remember that there are still many healthcare professionals that don't have enough personal protective equipment, don't have N95 masks, face masks, and this needs to be solved as quickly as possible. Uh, the other issue is healthcare capacity. So the concern is there's many parts of the country that are reaching capacity in terms of hospital beds, intensive care unit beds, and potentially ventilators. So that's been a problem you know, for, may, for many places, even at the beginning of the pandemic. The third thing is that a lot of healthcare professionals are getting very tired. Uh, so we have to keep in mind that they've been going, in some cases, full speed since February. So that's about nine, 10, and potentially more months without much of a break. And healthcare professionals are people too. You know, even though many of them are very heroic and super people, we can't lose sight of the fact that they have human needs. They need comfort. They need help. They need assistance. And in many cases, they've been working untenable hours, hours uh, and, and having workloads that just are not sustainable. So there needs to be a national strategy to address this problem. Otherwise, we're going to have a lot of healthcare professionals running out of steam, getting exhausted, getting uh, mentally exhausted as well as phys physically exhausted. And that's going to be a big problem in the middle of the pandemic, especially with cases surging. So there needs to be a national strategy to address that. Can you tell us more about Biden's COVID-19 task force? What are their goals? So he's uh, released some names, including the co-chairs of the uh, COVID-19 Coronavirus Task Force. It doesn't seem to be the complete task force yet, but he's really some of the names. So it is encouraging that there are health experts on the task force. Uh, so people who have uh, medical and health backgrounds, who therefore, as a result, would understand a lot of the health issues associated with the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. But there, there are still competencies and important areas that still need to be filled on the task force. So there are folks who are public health experts and people who deal with uh, equity and disparity issues, but um, there's also a need probably for more infectious disease experts or people who uh, have an understanding of the uh, different policies and interventions associated with pandemic preparedness and response uh, and operations folks. And, and so there are needs and areas that still uh, have to be filled. One of the issues with the task force is that they don't have actual authority or resources uh, currently, because it's the uh, current administration that holds all the authority and resources. So it will be important for the current administration to as quickly as possible transition a lot of the information and also share the decision-making. So there needs to be a situation where decision-making is shared. So whenever major decisions are made about uh, the pandemic, that the uh, current administration is working together with the Biden transition team to make sure they're both on the same page and agree with uh, how things are being conducted. Because ultimately, it will be the Biden administration that will have to handle uh, the repercussions of what will happen over the next couple months. Uh, and of course, the general public will have to deal with it as well. So that transition needs to occur as, as soon as possible without delay. 
Recently, Pfizer and Moderna announced effective COVID-19 vaccine candidates. Can you tell us more about these vaccines and other options that may be available to the public soon? Yeah, so there was two recent announcements regarding preliminary results. Uh, one was for Pfizer and the other was for the Moderna vaccine. And uh, in both cases, uh, the reported vaccine effectiveness was 90% or above. Uh, the Moderna one's a little higher than the uh, Pfizer one. It's important to keep in mind that these are encouraging results, but they are limited results. So they are based on a preliminary analyses of the trials that have so far only occurred for uh, a few months. And these essentially are reporting of effectiveness or efficacy. And it's looking at, so the way the trials are set up is in each case, uh, you have a certain uh, group of people who get the vaccine and another group of people who get the placebo and they're comparing the infection rates that occurred uh, between the two groups. One of the challenges is there's so many different factors that may affect uh, the probability of someone becoming infected. Uh, so that ranges from the prevalence of the virus in, in the surrounding community, uh, whether the community has done things such as social distancing and mask wearing and other policies and interventions, and then whether, whether the individual has taken all those precautions as well. Now, in theory, these trials are supposed to have many thousands of people, so 35, 40,000 plus people. So some of those confounders may potentially ultimately wash out because they occur in, in uh, varying frequencies uh, with the two groups. But the trouble is when you just announce preliminary results where you, have, you haven't enrolled everyone and you haven't observed people for a long period of time, uh, these different confounders can affect the results. I would be cautious about um, these numbers, these 90% plus uh, effectiveness numbers. Ultimately, they may drop and be lower. Uh, and we also do know that ultimately vaccine effectiveness when a vaccine is used in the real world tends to be low, uh, lower and sometimes much lower than those the vaccine efficacy reported in clinical trials because clinical trials are idealized situations. So first of all, don't hang your hat on the actual effectiveness numbers yet. Consider this as positive uh, you know, news and be cautiously optimistic. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily change the timelines that are anticipated with uh, different vaccines. So you know, there's talk of vaccines being available uh, mid to late spring, generally available, or mid to late spring to um, potentially early summer. Uh, that timeline hasn't really changed. Uh, and ultimately, we have to keep in mind that there's going to be several steps. So vaccines first need to be approved. And then ultimately, the first people who will get vaccines will be limited groups, uh, including uh, frontline workers and healthcare workers. So the general public is not going to receive the vaccine immediately. That's going to take a little time. Plus, there are a lot of challenges when it comes to uh, producing and distributing vaccines at a, such a mass level. So there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is, is uh, some of these vac vaccine candidates, like the Pfizer vaccine, are employing new technology, so mRNA vaccines that may require very, very, very cold storage. So we're talking about potentially negative 90 degrees or lower than that. And many clinics and hospitals currently may not have the equipment to be able to handle uh, such storage. So a lot needs to be done before vaccines can be uh, generally available. What questions still remain about the COVID-19 vaccine? 
Yeah, there's still a number of outstanding issues that we that have to be addressed by the clinical trials. Uh, so one is uh, duration of protection. So how long are people actually protected? You know, if if the vaccine induces a uh, an immune response, uh, the concern is well, how how strong is that immune response, and how long will that last? Uh, there have been case reports of people getting reinfected, so getting infected a second time after they uh, recovered from an initial bout with the COVID-19 uh, coronavirus. Uh, currently, if you look at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website, they said that reinfection within 90 days is rare, but le that leaves the door open for the possibility of after 90 days, uh, you may get reinfected. Now, that's with the natural virus. And, uh, that's with the virus itself. So the vaccine may potentially trigger a stronger immune response. So don't assume that if you can get reinfected by the uh, uh, virus naturally, that it will be difficult to put together a vaccine that can protect you. But it raises the possibility of like, how long will that protection last? So if that protection only lasts a limited number of time, uh, amount of time, then that would suggest that uh, there's a need to get um, re-immunized, you know, periodically re-immunized. The other issue is whether the COVID-19 coronavirus uh, may mutate and, um, you know, different versions of the virus may start circulating. Uh, so there has been evidence of uh, mutation. We know that uh, coronaviruses in general have a reasonably high likelihood of mutating. Uh, that's one of the reasons why it became, you know, we eventually had a pandemic strain, a strain that jumped from animals, most likely bats, to uh, humans. And there's also been evidence that, uh, you know, different versions have emerged through genetic testing. And most recently, there was a, there's concern about a, a new version uh, emerging in mink populations. So that's why many minks in um, Europe needed to be culled because this other version was was circulating among among the mink population. So uh, the question is, will a vaccine against the current strain be effective against other versions? Well, that all depends on how different other versions may be. Uh, so there is some cross-protective uh, uh, action against virus strains that are similar, similar enough. So we'll have to see. So these are all questions that remain and so we have to keep in mind that this is very complex. So just because you hear about results coming out about the vaccine, again, that can lend to some optimism, but the optimism has to be cautious optimism. We don't want to go overboard. Like we, you never want to be too excited by news or too down um, as a result of bad news. You want to stay, stay at an even keel and take these things in and understand that there's still a lot of work to be done. It's also important to understand that there, you know, when the vaccine comes out or if and when a vaccine comes out, it doesn't mean that you quickly abandon all the other precautions. So there may be uh, a, a length of time where you still have to do these other precautions like social distancing, uh, certainly disinfecting and hand washing and those things like that, uh, but also potentially face mask use for a while, the, the virus is not gonna disappear as soon as the vaccine comes out, regardless of how good the vaccine is. Uh, so we have to remember that. Um, and then we also have to remember that uh, there's there are many cases in which uh, this 
infection with this virus results in longer term health issues or problems. Uh, so the problems won't go away either. Thank you for joining me today and answering all my questions. Thank you.